So if I had to title our talk today, I would title it Children Are a Gift. Now, George Barna is very respected in our culture. Uh, Barna does a ton of research, and there's a ton of surveys that leak out from the Barna team. Let me share this with you. A current Barna study indicates that 43% of all Americans who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior do so before the age of 13. Follow that. 43% of all Americans claim, I came to faith in Jesus before the age of 13, thus Tiffany, thus when I look at my kids, thus for many others when I've talked to you. You, you go back and talk about, man, I grew up in a Christian home and I was introduced to the gospel. 65% of all born-again Christians claim that they came to faith in Christ before their 18th birthday. Did you hear that? 65% of all. One out of every eight, which would be close to 13%, say they came to faith in Christ somewhere between 18 and 21. Only 23% of the people surveyed said they came to faith in Christ after their 21st birthday. So the question has to be posed and it cannot be ignored. When is the most opportune time to reach a person with the gospel? It's a redundant question that answers itself, right? When is the most opportune time to see a person come to faith in Christ? It's going to be really before their 13th birthday, before their 18th birthday. Now, we live in a culture today where kids are being somewhat ignored and rejected. And we've got to stop and go, what's happening in our culture? I'll get to that. Luke chapter 18, here's what's happening. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is about to be crucified. The cross is before him. He makes his way through this little small Judean village. And while he's there, the people are bringing their kids to Jesus And they're wanting Jesus to bless their children. Pick up the story. Verse 15, I'll also be uh, marrying this with one of the synoptic passages out of Mark chapter 10. They were bringing even their babies to Jesus so that he would touch them and bless them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them and they said, don't bother him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was very displeased with the disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. Now, we've heard these kind of stories before. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke in June and July, and and we've had some incredible teaching, but, 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 but some of us have heard this teaching before. Let the little children come to me, but what does it mean? Jesus was very pleased to welcome these kids in his arms, but the disciples the disciples looked and said, oh, 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 hold on, they're disruption. They're a distraction. They're they're interrupting what you're doing. And Jesus stops and says, stop. They're not an interruption. They're your instructor. You see them as a hindrance. You see them as an obstacle. You, You see them as 
not having much worth. Like Tiffany said, go back, even when Jesus launches his ministry, the new covenant is birthed, women and children in that day were considered second and third rate citizens. They didn't have a voice. That's the reason even when Paul writes in 1 Timothy, and he talks about the way women should adorn themselves, I've heard a lot of liberal people say, well, look, 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 why would Paul write such a thing? He was giving women dignity like nobody had ever given it to him. When the gospel is really shared and Jesus says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, he opens the door for everybody. So what Jesus is doing is start to extend the new covenant even right here, and he says, let The children, let these babies come crawl on me and come hang with me. Now, I wish we would have had a video camera set up on Monday because as Nick and I were talking through this with Mike, all of a sudden Patrick and Melanie come in and here's four little kids and then Stephen, this other little kid comes in and they're in my office and all of a sudden I've got this little ESPN little basketball hoop thing and so bam, they're on that and then they go, they go over to my door, shut the bathroom door, they grab these little magnetic darts and, and I'm like... This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. Let the kids come and hang with me. Are kids important? You doggone right they are because they're the next generation of pastors and teachers and leaders and doctors and missionaries. And Jesus says, let the kids come to me. Matthew chapter 18 verses 5 and 6 Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and him cast into the depth of the sea. I want the kids to get to me. So as followers of Jesus, we should do everything we possibly can to bring children to Jesus. Which means we should do everything we possibly can to eliminate the obstacles that hinder kids from coming to Jesus. A couple weeks back, we did our basketball camp. We had 65 kids here for our basketball camp. Most of those kids were somewhere between 8 and 14. 30 of the 65 kids, when we shared the gospel, prayed and asked Christ to come in and be their Lord and Savior. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I do know that they were exposed and introduced to the gospel. I know starting tomorrow night here on this campus, we're doing our VBS outreach to the community. And we know that there's going to be 100 plus little kids, some of them unchurched from neighborhoods who have been invited by others, but are going to come in here and they're going to hear the good news of the gospel. I know on August 2nd, we're doing our big thrust back to school. Last year, a hundred plus kids and their families, many, many, many unchurched, came onto these grounds and got free haircuts and free backpacks and dental screenings and sports physical screenings. And right now, we've got well over 250 kids signed up to be on this campus on August 2nd that are going to hear the good news of the gospel. Jesus said, and we take it serious, let the children come and hang out with me. Why? Because I know as well as you do, those little lives, there's a believability, there's a sincerity, there's an innocence about them. And when I look at them, I go, man, they want somebody to love on them. And there's nobody that's going to love them 
any more than the Savior does. We went down to see my parents on Friday, and we came back, and all of a sudden, man, we were getting ready for bed, and Benji, my 20-year-old, looks at Caleb, my 11-year-old, and says, did y'all have fun? Yeah, did you have fun swimming? Well, my brother had installed an above-the-ground pool, and Caleb looks, and he goes, yeah, we did, but the pool was kind of clumsy. And I look at him, and I said, clumsy? Do you mean flimsy? And he said, oh, yeah, flimsy. Don't you laugh at kids all the time? Remember the show Kids Say the Darndest Things? Didn't you watch that and laugh? Isn't there a beauty and an innocence? And in the midst of our world right now, where corruption and insanity and wickedness and all this inhumane stuff is taking place, who is going to be the difference makers in the next generation? Let the children come to me. So I want to give you five obstacles that I think Hinder kids from coming to Jesus. Number one would be this, apathy and pride. Apathy and pride. In the parable right before this in Luke 18, Jesus says everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. There is a direct correlation between humility and being able to identify with kids. John 1.12, and the word became flesh, literally means that Jesus entered our world, our playpen, our great coat, and identified with us. Remember, getting on the floor and playing Barbies, getting on the floor and playing whatever, what you do is you become incarnation of that kid when you step and reach their level. You cannot reach kids with the gospel out of arrogance. Humility and childlikeness go together. Now, let me hit a little tension for you. Last week, a video was released by Planned Parenthood that provided a lot of disturbing evidence that they were going to be selling the body parts of this fetal tissue, stem cell research, these aborted babies. I don't know if you saw it, but it disturbed my heart that Planned Parenthood, a government-funded arm, is now taking these little babies, not fetal tissue, and now they're going to sell the body parts. Can I tell you something? We live in a corrupt culture. A culture that would endorse killing babies does not care about properly educating kids. And I've been watching this stuff unfold, and it's a head-scratcher going, what are we doing? And many evangelical voices like John Piper and others stood up and said, enough, enough. Enough. We live in a corrupt system. You're a teacher. You're a teacher. You're a part of the education movement. Can I tell you something? We have now as a curriculum here in Georgia as well as the nation that is void and absent of God. Many of us, when we were little kids, we would go into school and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And then a principal or someone would come on the loudspeaker and open the day in prayer. Now you can't even pray at a sporting event. And the literature and the information. If you go back and study Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1, when Nebuchadnezzar comes in rule, he says, man, bring me the choice of the choice, boys, young, strong, athletic, whatever. And then he tries to do three things with them. He tries to change them spiritually, mentally, spiritually, mentally, and physically. 
I'm going to give you new names. You'll no longer be Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Your names will be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their name was their identity. We're going to change them. We're going to teach them now the Chaldean Babylonian literature. We want to brainwash them. And we're going to change them physically by changing their diet. Mike Monroe told me the other day his little man, Aiden, is in preschool, and the only way that you can opt out of eating what they provide is that you have to have a doctor's note, which says the government will tell you what to put in their system. The government will tell you how to educate them. No, they won't. If the government violates, thus saith the Lord, I will not bow to it. We don't have to. We, we don't have to. Let me, let me share with something I wrote while I was on vacation. I want you to hear this. The nation has tilted. Truth is on trial. As liberals dance, yet live in denial. What's wrong is called right. Absolutes have been slayed. Morality suffers in feudal decay. But God remains sovereign. He's the same still today. Extending his grace, he will have the last say. I pledge my allegiance to the lamb that was slain, the supreme authority, holy his name. It started with prayer being kicked out of school. Evolution applauded. It became the new rule. Gideon Bibles, we see them no more. The master maker is being ignored. The courts violated the laws of the land, caving to pressure while appeasing demand. Rainbow colors waving with pride, hearts are deceived, iniquity inside. Roe versus Wade claimed to give people choice, while millions of babies were given no voice. Eliminate life is the scheme straight from hell. Lies and deception seem to prevail. But God remains sovereign. He's the same still today. Extending his grace, he will have the last say. I pledge my allegiance to the lamb that was slain, my supreme authority, holy his name. Why should this God bless our land while the nation rejects his perfect commands? Forget you, God, is the song being sung while millions of people are silent and numb. I refuse to sit still while this war rages strong. Rescued from sin, to him I belong. He's the lion that conquers my king and my Lord. I'll declare Jesus only until time is no more. You deserve my allegiance, my Savior, my friend. I'll praise you forever and forever. Amen. God remains sovereign. He's the same still today. Extending his grace, he has the last say. God remains sovereign to him while I pray. The angels are shouting Yahweh, Yahweh. I pledge my allegiance to Jesus, my king. I worship you only. My king is supreme. But we live in a culture. We live in a culture where it's time for the body of Christ and the church to rally together and take a stand. We can't sit around any longer with apathy and pride we, we can't sit on our hands and pretend that everything is okay. It's not okay. Are we living in the last days? Yeah. Do kids matter to Christ? Yeah. Do people matter to Christ? Yeah. Here, here's a second obstacle that I've seen over the years in regards to kids coming to faith in Christ. It's parents that are spiritually lost. 
A lot of kids grow up in a family, man, where God's not being talked about, where Christ is not being elevated and celebrated. And those kids grow up at a disadvantage. They're being taught something, much like in education, some worldview is being taught every day. Some type of worldview and absolutes is being uh, promoted every day. But a lot of these kids that come to our church, a lot of kids that came to our camp, a lot of kids that have been a part of what's happened here, their parents don't go to church. And you know as well as I do, my buddy. I mean, hey, when your parents don't come and you get up as a, a teenager and you start to show up yourself, you've got a lot of battles. So there's two ways to overcome the obstacle. Listen to me, two ways. Number one is let us form creative ideas, even as you live in your neighborhood and community, to reach these kids with the gospel. Most parents, when you go to an unchurched kid and say, hey, do you mind if little Johnny comes to church with us today? Most parents, most parents still will say, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Even as I coached baseball for all those years and we had these teams, we used to do Bible study. We used to share testimony. Every weekend we would go out and play a tournament. We had chapel services. Guess how many of those families had no church affiliation? Wherever God has you planted right now, there's kids and families affiliated. One of the great ways to overcome the obstacle is building relationship and sharing the gospel with those kids. We're driving home on Friday night from Noonan. My 12-year-old Hannah has been reaching out to this little girl in the cul-de-sac down the road from us. She's invited her. This little girl's come here on Wednesday night. Hannah went out with her own money last year and bought her a Bible and gave it to her. We're driving up the road, and Hannah said, you know what I was thinking about? Wonder if, the little girl's name, wonder if I ask her if we could meet together once or twice a week and we could read the scripture together because she tells me she don't understand it and maybe I could explain it to her. I'm driving up the road going, go, get it. You, 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 you're getting it, Hannah. Stay with it. How will people know if 12-year-old preachers don't share it with them? Little Etheridge dude, he's in our church, like 10, 11 years old. He started a Bible study at the elementary school. He was meeting with Trevor saying, all right, I want you to help mentor me. They would go out for recess and playtime. He was setting up shop underneath the tree, inviting people to come to his Bible study. The public school can't tell him to shut up. He's like, well, here's another way I can reach my classmates. I'm like, you go ahead, little dude. Here, here's another obstacle. So apathy and pride crushes us. Parents that are spiritually lost but a lack of biblical depth. Here's something I've come to realize over the years. It takes more understanding of truth to share it with a six-year-old than it does a 36-year-old. Now, let me, let me break this down. The reason the Gospels are so powerful is there's all these parables and stories. When you start to talk to your kids, you'll sit there at times going, I don't, I don't think I connected with their question. 
Because they can look at you like a baby calf looks at a new gate going, what is that? And you go, I've got to break that down. The reason a lot of us don't really share it is because we haven't studied it. We haven't broken it down. We haven't sifted through it enough. It takes a lot to say, let me explain this to that little one. Does that make sense to you? Now, I've got good news for you. I'm going to make a push for you today. I'm going to make a push that you're going to get involved with our kids' ministry. And what I just said, you go, yeah, that's one of my problems. We've got the curriculum already laid out. We've got the questions already laid out. My friends who are on vacation right now, K.O. and Jill, she was telling me, when I go in there to that four- and five-year-old class over here, let me tell you what's cool. The curriculum's already laid out. The story, we get it a week before. When I start to share it, I just ask questions. Most of the kids give me the majority of the answers. And we end up interacting and coaching them further along. I'm like, is that not cool? Well, we'll do some research for you. We'll help you in the process. But a lack of biblical depth, we should all, every single one of us, we should make the resolve starting today that I will become a student of the Word of God. I will know the Word of God. I will acquaint myself with biblical studies. I will not compromise and negotiate and slay the principles of God. I will know this. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses now go out and entrust to faithful men and women who will also share with others. 2 Timothy 2.2, I'll never forget walking into our Bible study one day. This was about eight or nine years ago, and I walk into the Bible study, and there's Smoltz, and there's Foxworthy, and there's Ernie Johnson, and there's John Burrow, and there, and there, and there. There's about 15, 18 guys in our Bible study that day. And I looked at the guys and I said, hey, I've got a pledge card for you. They're like, what are you talking about? I said, we're going through First and Second Timothy. Where I'm going to be today is I have a pledge card for you. They're like, all right. And I said, here's the deal. Based on the teaching of Second Timothy 2, the things you've heard from me, I'm supposed to be entrusting those to faithful men and women. In return, those who are entrusted with the truths of God are now to go out and entrust them to others. I said, here's the pledge card. I want every one of you to commit and agree that you will go out and be infiltrators in your world. If not, give your seat to somebody else that will. They looked and said, you got it. And I look at those guys today with Smoltzy starting Christian schools, Foxworthy every week down at the Atlanta Union Mission. I can tell you that John Burra is traveling the world right now, infiltrating 1040 windows and all this stuff for the gospel. Paul Bird blowing it up. But every one of those guys that said yes meant yes. Why? Because they're famous? No, because they were committed. Now, who does that apply to? That applies to me, and it applies to you. People say, well, I just don't have time to study. I'll get to that in a second. So a lack of biblical depth. Number four, a lack of discipline and desire. Why do I not sit down and break down Scripture and interact with my kids and others about the gospel? I'm just not disciplined and really don't have a desire to do so. Now, God has called us men, 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 to lead our families. That was the responsibility he delegated to me. 
Even as far back as Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must, you must, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. We know that God instructed Moses with a 10 that he wrote on the tablets. He brought them back. But then listen to what he says. Fathers, wholeheartedly sell out and commit. Repeat these commands to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on a journey, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands as a reminder. Wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost. Dads. Who's he talking to? Let the kids come to me. Do everything that you can with a diligent heart to make sure that you're shepherding and shaping that heart for the kingdom. Train up that child in the way they should go. And when they get old, they will not depart. It is our sacred responsibility that God gives to us to say, you get to have influence in that life. I mean, there was no greater joy last year for us No, I'm telling you, and there's a lot of great joys, but when my 20-year-old has Tommy John surgery, he's going back rehabbing, and the FCA director on Middle Tennessee campus says, I've asked him to lead it, and he's leading the Bible study every week. Can I tell you something? If he would have called and said, hey, through three shutouts this month, through two no-hitters, leading the nation in earned run average. That would have not equated to the joy in my heart of knowing that my son was leading others in weekly devotion and communion, challenging those to become all that they could be for the kingdom. Third John 4 says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children are walking into the truth. There's not a parent sitting here that would trade that. Man, my son, my daughter is walking with Jesus. They're sold out. They're serious. Why? Because they got the gospel, but God allowed me to play just a small little part as a father of teaching the commands and statutes and the rhema sayings of God. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? I am. Are you? Are you? Here's another thing. Here's another obstacle. This is not a guilt trip statement. It's just a reality. A lack of teachers and helpers. There's a lack of teachers and there's a lack of helpers. I can look at Cassie and Cassie would say, we have a lack of teachers and helpers. Cassie is here every Sunday. Every Monday. Every Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday with our preschool. But Cassie is here. Jenny Grant is here. Sammy is here. Let let me do some math for you, okay? Because here's the thing I've kind of proposed to our people as far as reaching kids with the gospel. I said, all I want you to do is to give me 90 minutes every two weeks. If everybody gave me 90 minutes every two weeks to be a part of our kids' ministry, even up to middle school, let me tell you, man, this thing would blow up. You would be serving, you would be in there having impact on lives, you would see kids starting to come to faith in Christ. But let me do, let me do the math on it. 90 minutes every 
two weeks. Now, based on my calculation and study, there's 24 hours in a day, which means there's 24 hours in a week and there's seven days in a week, which means there's 168 hours in a week, which means there's 336 hours every two weeks, which really means every four weeks, there's 672 hours every four weeks. Now, in that week that has 24 times 7, which is 168, there is 10,080 minutes in a week. You get 10,080 minutes every week. I get 10,080 minutes every week, which means every two weeks, I get 20,160 minutes in my two-week window. Now, when I stand and ask people to invest 90 minutes out of their 20,160 minutes, you would think I was asking at times for you to cut your leg off. But when I start to do the math, I start to think that it's doable. I was talking to a kid the other day who has struggled, who has struggled with heroin and other drug addictions, and he goes, what are you working on? I said, I'm working on some math equation. I'm trying to get people to lock in and genuinely serve. I said, can I break it down for you? I broke it down. I said, I'm trying to get people to serve once every two weeks, 90 minutes. And I broke down the numbers. I said, that's 20,160 minutes, which means you've still got over 20,000 minutes every two weeks to do whatever you want to do with them. And the kid looked at me and he said, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Here's the fallacy. Here's the fallacy. People will say, well, I'm with kids all the time and I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm with kids all the time. I'm with people all the time. I'm with smart people. I'm with intelligent people. I'm with idiots. <laughs> Based on what we do, we get a potpourri blend of a full connection, do we not? What keeps you from being a part of seeing kids come to faith in Christ. I promise you, this ain't guilting. This, and, and don't do this. Don't, 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 don't do this. Don't play the cultural, spiritual game with me. Well, I'll pray about it. Which means, get lost, dude. Not happening. But if we rallied together, I was talking to Mike, it's not just in the children's area, which is a huge need to influence kids. But we need people that have gifts and skills with video cameras and who can do PowerPoints and all this stuff. My man Luke has picked up the guitar and he ain't putting it down. I looked at my buddy Matt Ward who does so much, he and his wife Lisa here. And we looked at Matt a few years ago and said, you going to play the bass? I don't know. Now we can't get him to put it down. Yeah, I'm going to be a part of this worship team. And it was that one step that led to that second step that led to that next step and that next step. You know how you do it? You do it one step at a time. When we started going out after I got saved in October of 85, I didn't know what to do. I had a couple people sit down with me. I had a King James Version and a New International Version Bible. That's all I had. And a guy said, go reach your teammates with Christ. And I said, I don't know how to do it. And he said, you'll figure it out. He said, they will notice the radical change that's happened in your life, that you're no longer a heathen and a pagan. 
And they're going to say, what happened to you? And you're going to be able to share with them. Back in October, man, I came to a radical understanding that God loves me. I repented of my sin and I placed my faith in Jesus. He goes, it'll happen. That year, eight of my teammates plus a pitching coach all prayed to give their life to Christ. Did you have seminary training? No. Did you have much understanding outside of just some basics? No. But I had the radical understanding that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords had radically changed my life. What did I want to do? I wanted to share him with other people. I want you to embrace him, to grow deeper with him. Get involved in influencing these kids. Let the kids come to me. 90 minutes every two weeks is doable. You got 20,000 160 minutes. What are you going to do with them? I was working out yesterday morning and I'm like, people tell me, I just don't have time to work out. I've already done the math. I'm like, man, if I do 30 minutes, four times a week, do the math. I'm giving 120 minutes a week out of my 10,080 minutes to do cardio and to try to stay in shape. I'm like, that's doable. That's doable. That's attainable. It's attainable for you. Let's reach kids with the gospel. What do you say? You in?